So I've learned uh, the most important thing is that there's no right answer. Like you have to keep digging in there. That's the keep like that's a key learning. Like if you keep digging there, I've also learned that not every feedback is useful and not every feedback is a feature request. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is awkward. Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Azur Shad. He's the head of growth at UserPilot. You know, we talked to a lot of user researchers and uh, designers on the show, and recently we've been talking to some more growth practitioners to learn how user research techniques can help your overall business to grow. So today we're going to talk about how to sleuth your users. So how to use user interviews and secondary research to really uncover who your users are, what makes them tick to ultimately grow your business. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And JH is here too. Yeah, I'm excited to learn how to sleuth on people in uh, non-creepy and ethical ways. So, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So let's uh, start from the beginning. What have uh, these sleuthing techniques done for for you and your business? You you talk about uh, when we were talking before about how user understanding is really the beginning of acquisition, not acquisition itself. What's that mean? Why do we start with user understanding if we want to think about building our business? Yeah. So uh, just to give a little bit more context in there, I um, I, I joined UserPilot like a month and a half year ago and um, UserPilot is user onboarding software. I recently learned before even joining the UserPilot was that you not know, trying to understand the user the best way because I couldn't do that in my previous startup really well. I just had an assumption and I just went with it and then I started targeting people on Facebook I started targeting people on direct mail and I, I was just going haywire here and there like trying different channels without even understanding where my market hangs out and that previous mistake of my startup that I learned that, that I tried different channels and none of them actually worked and so that made me understand okay you know what when I join my next startup I'm not gonna do that same mistake and before starting to do some Facebook ads, Google and stuff like that, the reason why I say uh, user research is more important than user acquisition, because um, once you know where they hang out, then you can just be there. And if what I learned that if you are in the interest of those people, if you just know where they hang out and who these people are, even if you're not trying to sell them, they will be sold themselves. And since I come from a sales background myself, I've, I've, I've learned with time as a, as, a, as a salesperson, as a growth hacker, that just being in front of your target market and showing what you do and telling them how they can be successful in their business or life will actually have enough interest for you to acquire them. And that's why I think user research is more important in that sense. Yeah. So is it that user research is more important than acquisition or that user research is essential to acquisition. It's it's essential to acquisition. And just to give you my process, what I did when I came in, usually so there's another head of growth that I, was, I do admire and he recently joined another company. And what he did was he went from revenue and he went back up to awareness channel 
Whereas what I did was instead of going towards revenue, I just chatted with those users who were actually paying us. And I had a huge questionnaire that I was doing it. And um, in this, in that questionnaire, I was trying to understand, okay, you know what, what they are doing exactly, why they use user pilot, uh, what were they using before, and then understanding them that, and then try to understand where did they find us. And this is something that user pilot did not have in their questionnaire when they, somebody signs up. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you know what, when you use a tool a solution like this, for where do you ha- where do you find this solution? And then they said Google, which doesn't seem like an uh, not a new answer, right? So people do search for everything, but my market, which is usually product managers who don't like ads, these are people who do not click on Facebook ads, they do not uh, appreciate cold emails. The most important insight that I got from them was that they like to search for everything and they like to be self-served and they like to, they like to find the solution themselves, look for it and then sign up and try the product themselves and this whole insight that they, they don't wait for somebody to reach out to them. They actually ignore them. Rather, they would search something themselves, find out, evaluate, and then go ahead and ask for approvals. And that insight made me understand, you know what? Instead of just going towards uh, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, some other partnership channels or whatever that, that I want to improve in terms of user acquisition, I should go back and focus on SEO part because that's where they're looking at. And that's what I that's what I really focused for my one year. And then now the rankings are up. I can probably say that that this whole thing came from the user research that I did initially. Just I just wanted to add that as a uh, product person, this this lines up. <laughs> I, I'm not responsive to cold emails, and I do like <laughs> to try to find answers myself. So uh, sample of one, but it sounds like you're yeah. on the mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's just the behavior because. I, I feel that not just talk, not just praising you, but like I feel product managers are very smart people and they usually either come from technical background or business background and business people are usually people who do a lot of research while they're in this in school or while working for somebody else. And so it's just easier, it's just easier for them to switch on that mode of research themselves before going and looking for solutions or getting solution from somebody. So that's, that's my perspective. Yeah. So let's talk more about how you uh, how you sleuth that. So you had this, you know, it sounds like maybe you were um, you didn't want to throw stuff at the wall as you had in the past. You want to know where people hang out. You introduce some sort of questionnaire that you know reveals that Google is a piece of the puzzle, right? But to your point, you don't want to just be. How did how did you realize that product managers? you know, want to do the self-discovery and don't like ads? How did you get from Google to this broader picture of how you're going to reach your audience? Yeah, that's a great question. When I joined in, before even user interviews, I was forced to do cold emailing. And I am I used to be a cold email specialist like in 2015, 16, where there was no GDPR, there was no privacy law, you could just land on anybody's inbox. And and I was I was forced to do cold emailing and cold calling just to get us started. We wanted more customers. And so when I did that and I saw that SaaS community and product management community uh, did not appreciate my cold emailing. So I did a, a different tactic there. Instead of them sending them cold emails, I signed up for the product. And once I signed up for the product, I, I said, hey, I looked at your onboarding and it seems like it needs a little bit of love. And I can give you that by just sending you a small, email, a small a short, short video. And they appreciated that. And so first thing that ticked was, SaaS and product managers and support people, they love feedback. 
and even if it, they, they love feedback from a stranger. And that's where I realized that these companies, I did close them through cold emailing by making them interested on the proposition I had. And I found out that they like feedback. And once they closed, I reached out around 100 companies, 90% of them responded, but like five of them closed. And then I realized that it's too much of efforts actually reach out to these people. So we need to use a different channel. So that was already back of my mind. And while doing that, I was already talking to a couple of my users. And that both thing together made me think that, okay, you know what? We may need to start doing SEO. And that was the entire journey and the process where I learned, okay, you know, SEO is something they would search, is something they would, they're hanging out all the time. And one more thing that was also an, a learning that a technical product manager comes from a technical background, either a front-end developer or QA or back-end developer. These guys are really prone to looking at Stack, Stack Overflow and GitHub. These are the two tools that keep, they keep looking at it and they try to find answers and um, on, on these tools. And these tools are ranking on normal keywords, right? And so when you search for something, they have already... So these people are already prone to searching these things. So I just connected the whole story together by doing cold calling, then cold emailing, and then talking to my customers and then trying to figure out, okay, you know what? Where is my, my, my customers are hanging out? My prospects are hanging out. And that's how it ticked the whole story together, if that helps. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this is maybe a, a, a kind of a nuanced question on it, but how did you land on referring to it as like, where do they hang out? Because I'm just trying to think of myself as a product manager. I don't know that I would describe myself as like hanging out on Google. Like my my inclination is to like go to Google for when I need answers and try to find answers myself. So like that all lines up. But I might think I like hang out in like Slack groups or I, you know, so, like, so like I'm just curious, is that like a very specific phrase or how did you land on um, like referring to it that way? Yeah, so my research was just not primary research. It was secondary research. And in that primary, secondary research, I met a lot of people who were marketing and growth people who were selling to product product management and product managers. But the question, they, the way I ask them, I don't say, hey, where do you hang out? I say, when you look for a solution like this, what do you, how, do, how does your process start? So that's the one thing. And even before that, I say, hey, what was the problem that you're trying to solve? And how does the process start? So that's one thing. And the second thing I found out that, um, so there are product managers, Reddit, product managers, Facebook, but Slack channels were something that all the product managers love because product managers don't love getting the information. They like seeking the information. And so Slack is always a mode where they can just ask a question. Somebody will respond. If they want to look at it, they will look at it, but they don't have to go those to those channels. I didn't say, hey, where are you hanging out? I just said like, you know, if you have to consume the best content, where do you go and consume it? And whose content are you consuming recently? Who do who who inspires them to to consume that content? Who inspires them to become somebody like them? And that's where I found out that you know Medium, Twitter, Slack were three channels, and Google the the number one were the four channels that these people are really hanging out. And that's how I found out. So instead of asking them direct questions. I try to ask them, you know, understanding their lifestyle, you know, what they do in those 30 days when they are 20 days of work, working days. How does, how does it start when they come, come to work? How does it start? What do they do first? What do they do second? And so the lifestyle question made me also understand some questions they will not directly answer, but they will still tell me how their usual day looks like and who they really get inspired from. 
Yeah, and I think, J.H., uh, point, point taken, I think that um, where do you hang out is, um, that's a phrase like marketers have started to use a lot in terms of just audience discovery and, you know, channel development and things like that. But it's an interesting point, right? Because some channels very much are more like kind of lurking places that you sort of are and hang out a lot, like Slack or Facebook or whatever, versus I'm going to go here with intent when I have a specific question, very much what Google is, which has different implications for how you then like use those channels to do your marketing, right? So you you mentioned that you discovered Google was going to be key and then also secondarily Twitter and Slack and Medium. Have you taken advantage of all those channels at this point or? Yeah, I have taken advantage of all those channels except Twitter. I am unable to crack Twitter somehow. It's a, it's a, it's a completely different world. But I can tell you how it, I took advantage. So the first thing I did was like, in terms of SEO, I, I started looking what what are the main keywords. I did ask them, you know, how do you describe user pilot to others? And that gave me a couple of keywords already. You know, these keyword tools give them. So I, if you just like just search for user pilots audit and look at look at it on Ahrefs or somewhere, you will find out that you know there are a lot of keywords user pilots ranking. I did exactly for that. And then um, mm-hmm. Slack, I actually created a article on how to do Slack marketing, and one of the channels where me and Aaron connected, that channel was the primary channel where I acquired my first five users mm-hmm. as well. And just because when you go to Slack, there's this preference center and in the center, you can write those keywords there. So keywords such as for user pilot would be user onboarding, product adoption, onboarding, interactive walkthrough, guided walkthrough, in-app training, in-app experiences, and then competitors names. So just using those keywords, it always reactively alerted me that these people are looking for solution. And a couple of channels also have tool section as well, where I just keep myself on it or need help as well. So what I did was um, I did alert myself and I did respond to those people based on those alerts. But I also did was when they seek for advice and help, I gave them free advice. I, I, I helped them wherever that I could. I, I've been a really community channel, uh, community person in general. So I've been helping them without them in any benefits. And whenever somebody introduced and was my target market, I introduced myself them. Hey, good to have you in the channel. I saw your application looks great. Happy to look at your application and give you an onboarding, uh, onboarding teardown if you want. And those started the conversations already. And because of that, Slack was my primary marketing channel in terms of reactive marketing. I call it like reactive marketing because you don't, go you don't plan it it just happens when it when it when you want to have it when they want to have it when users want to have it the second channel after google and slack that i started exploiting was it it, it just that it happens with time was medium so what i did was i found out there were like so many product managers publications and newsletters that were there which people are already reading on so what i did was i just used the same blog which I already have on user pilot. I just change the topic and change the content around it and then propose the same topic to those medium newsletters. So product management insider, product school. So these, these were looking, these, they were always looking for some new content and I, I am generating new content by having new people, new case study, new people who are looking at our con- uh, making new ways of using user pilot and just putting it up there just makes a really good sense. And, what I also did was I'm really opinionated. Like, for example, 
we don't believe in product tours. We, we believe that product tours are not that helpful rather than interactive walkthrough or making them user, a user click on certain thing is better than take, showing them five tools. So writing the opinionated article on those platforms also helped. I haven't seen the ROI enough. I just wrote like five, six articles, but that made already conversation get started. And now we're, we're trying to collaborate more on this. And then, yeah, so these were the three, four channels that I have already exploited. My still the biggest uh, channel that uh, that gives me recurring recurring business is SEO, and that's why I invested heavily on it. So that's that's how it worked. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com/awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's gonna be easy, it's gonna be quick, you're gonna love it, so get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. That makes sense. The The Slack tip of the getting alerted for keywords other than your name is a smart one. I, I had never thought about something like that. The the reason I think I asked about or got caught up on the hangout word is is it does feel like there's kind of a fine line here, right? Of I like to hang out in Slack communities or I like to read, you know, medium articles from from certain places because I because they do because they feel like real communities and they <clears throat> and it doesn't feel like, you know, a sales or marketing channel. And I think what you were describing is like it sounds like there's a way to do it well where you're, you know, a useful and and helpful part of the community where you're disclosing what's going on and stuff like that. But it feels tough, right? Like I think people talk about this sometimes with like, you know, text messages as being like a, a potentially like channel for for stuff, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you know what I like about text messages? Is like I don't get <laughs> I don't get like email spam in it. I, and so it feels like it's a hard line to walk. Is that something that you think about in terms of like taking advantage of these channels and these communities, but not in a way that causes backlash or or how do you get that yeah, balance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a very good question, actually. So user pilot is all about user experiences. And that's answer number one. The second thing is value-driven content. Wherever I, wherever, so I've never been blocked. I've never been kicked out of any group on any Slack groups as well. What I learned that if you're being helpful and if you, if you have that empathy to understand the other person, what they will receive from the other end, it's always going to make the conversation better and always going to make that attempt, what are we trying to do better? So those communities where I saw that, I didn't just go and directly wrote the blog. I just saw their blogs, how they're writing it, what they're doing it, what people like, what people clapping on it, stuff like that, and then wrote a comment. And that's why it just keeps getting better every time because the more you push content out there, the more people give you feedback if it's good or not. And based on that, you keep adding more value. And since you, if if it's very specific, right? So if it's very specific to a specific situation, that you're already currently experiencing, it just hits the it hits the it hits the bullseye, and that's what what I want. That's what I want to like. I I don't want five hundred people to look at it and then just say they like it. I just want those five people who have the problem right now, who can look at it right now and they say, hey, I need something like this. And uh, that's what happened. And this is why we had this new research called the product onboarding research. And since there's a product word in it, it's the research in twenty twenty. Uh, which will help the product managers to help them to be better at whatever they're doing in terms of launching new features, engagement, 
and getting more engagement from the users and like what mistakes people are usually doing those all things combined together really help to my to my to, to my existing i wouldn't say existing to my prospect readers and that's how i kept kept the balance in there you got a lot of good insight um in terms of you know what are these going to be these meaningful channels for you and it sounds like power law of distribution channels seo is going to be huge you've correspondingly you know invested a lot there and you've thought about okay here's our channels to jh's point how do we use them appropriately given you know the ux of how people want to experience these channels how did you leverage different research tools to you know, get at some of these insights in terms of what's going to resonate with your users and who they are. You talked a little bit about surveys. I know you've done interviews as well. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Sure, sure, sure. I, I As I said, initially, I learned like I need to do these user interviews on a regular basis. So I used to have like, you know, once in a week uh, interviews with my users and just hanging out like and just hanging out was just a way to talk to them and get insight but also help them at the same time because if they're spending 30 minutes with me and i don't have that much money to give them amazon voucher what i can do is give value in return so the, t- the first tool that i used was like hey i can give you the ux audit of your current onboarding and the flows that you made that might help you improve your numbers so that was incentive for them and then i d- asked them to jump on the call i already had a huge questionnaire there in my now notion i have like around 17 questions that they're too many and i was just jumping on from one to another and to another to another to another when as soon as he responded instead of diving deeper into it and so what i learned was that with that specific interview that you know you don't need to ask all the questions you can ask like five or six questions that you really want to know and dive deeper into that for example i have this question um, which i always ask uh, what drove you to search for product like user pilot and what were you trying to solve that is, I want to do X so I can do Y. And um, so when he or she responds, my job is to dive deeper into that question instead of, instead of just going to the next step. So That's one key insight that I learned. And that has really helped me because now the number of questions are less. And ans- uh, answering those questions uh, and getting the insights from them and keep asking them why, keep asking them why made things much better. And I read some article somewhere and it made me tick as well. Okay, you know what? I should stop asking too many questions and not asking their workflow, not asking their role. I can do all the research there, but like asking those unique questions that give me insights. The other thing that I I learned was I don't need to ask them all the questions in the interview. So what I did was I broke down my my interview process, like my data collection process into different steps and different ways to do it. So the first way is like when somebody books a demo and even if I don't have sales call, I just jump on somebody else calls and then tell them, hey, can you ask these two questions? Like, why did you sign up for user pilot and what are you trying to solve? That's one question. After demo, when they uh, when they sign up, even in the sign up, I use um, user pilots in-app survey to ask them a couple of more questions once they have been activated. So that's another way I'm, I'm getting some data. The third is actually once they pay, I ask them also, like, what made you choose user pilot? Um, do you love user pilot? If not, why? And the third question is related to more customer success, which is like, you know, uh, what, how does a success look like in user pilot? Like, what metrics are you looking for? So I'm, I'm breaking down these questions in their whole user journey. And then NPS is also there, which I use user pilot for. Like, user pilot is an NPS. I'm using that as well. And once all of these are done, then I'm asking for an interview if I know they are power users. I'm not asking 
if if they are if they are not looking if their numbers are not looking good if, if they're just average in user pilots data then i'm not reaching out to them i'm only reaching out to power users who love us they write us on chat all the time and they are raising hands all the time and this is my process in terms of getting insights so i've broken them down into different st- stages and based on different stages i ask them question and interview is the is the like biggest stage the way i ask them on interviews i i usually do is like you know hey you have great numbers you're the power user um can you help so and then then i say like you know how can you help me and they say um just jumping on a call and i'll i'll help you with the, your your ux audit and then that's how we exchange value also nps give us enough data as well like you know nps tells us why the users what's great what's not um and if they give us 10 on 10 nps i also send them an email say hey wow you gave us 10 nps score uh why did you choose it and then give us more insight so i don't have to ask now so many questions i that interview is about those unique insights that i couldn't get in this process if if, if this whole process makes sense for you yeah it makes makes a lot of sense do you uh will you ask me the same questions with non users will you go outside of your user base and and try to gather similar data or has been just sticking with the the people kind of already familiar with user pilot been the main uh, source so then these are the these are the customers or people who are interested in user pilot um, um but like i do uh, like writing um an interview uh with like um, head of growth of uh, head of product growth of different big companies because that's what we're trying to also learn and just ch- chatting with them and there are there are the companies such as uh, growth mentor clarity fm where these people are hanging out linkedin is a great place to hang out you know so these people are very easy to get in touch with and if you tell them that there's no commercial interest from your side they're happy to talk to you for 15 20 minutes and you know since you love uh, product they love product you both want to talk about product why not just chat, chatting 15 20 minutes about and hang, having a virtual coffee um i also do that so whenever i'm going to a conference so i'm going to sastra now i hope that happens but like in sas talk when i was last year i already just everybody was sending cold emails to me say hey let's meet but what i did was instead of selling to them i said hey i love product and i love product management let's just chat about what you've been doing let's see what we can learn from each other and then asking them indirect questions for example you know what they currently use um and stuff like that i couldn't get from them so i have different channels where i can just go and ask and i get feedback from my ideal persona so to say Yeah, it's great to hear about just all the the numerous channels and methods you're using to to get all these insights about your um, you know, target audience. What have you learned over time? We you know, we start talked at the beginning about the kind of channels people hang out. What else have you learned about your target audience and and who they are through all this research? So I've learned uh, the most important thing is that there's no right answer. Like you have to keep digging in there. That's the keep like that's a key learning like to keep digging there i've also learned that not every feedback is useful and not every feedback is a feature request sometimes people don't know what they want and uh, so you have to look at data from the back end and see what they are doing it um so these two things that i've learned and i think every feedback that you get just take it from as a, a pinch in this like in the salt and then just try um try to see if this is aligned with other patterns that are there i also like learned with the with the time that i need to document everything you know you have to keep doing the secondary research instead of you asking the people wait for people to ask those questions when i started i was just one person marketing company 
person and now they're like five people in marketing who are doing different things smaller things and this will help each everybody and if you have a documentation in place of these interviews of these processes of the videos of this work fridge people can just go and look at it and then they can they can consume that content to do their jobs better so yeah not taking all the feedback at face value keep digging and ask more questions and documenting these would be three key learning uh, acquired over time if i have to summarize it well yeah how do you i think this is something that we don't talk about enough right um all feedback is not equal and some of it even maybe uh you shouldn't pay attention to at all how do you how have you developed a sense for what feed um warrants documentation right you talked about the importance of document um versus you know what is a feature request versus you know how to how and where to sort of like literally and uh, metaphorically file away these different insights and pieces of feedback yeah that's a that's a very very interesting um i i don't have a like a right answer for that uh, but i can tell you that i think you need to have a this creep zone ethically creep zone on see what they're doing so if it's a customer see what they're doing inside the application and why that specific feature is important and then look at how many people are also asking the same feature and complaining about the same feature um, and it's this just comes to you very naturally that okay all the users are asking this specific feature request and so about documentation i think um we already all, always have a bias i think we will always have a bias what answers we want to document and what we don't and then when we present it people who are reading it they also have a bias so i think this process cannot be foolproof if i would say but i what you can do is like you can document as much as you should be doing it that you think is important and then asking a second person to review it that reduces a little bit burden on from your head that that it's it, that this feedback is like not just just a feedback it other people also see it as well and that's how i just corroborate right now by just letting somebody else look at it and then and also the same feedback if you keep listening over time so you see if this is coming again and again maybe this feature request this the specific thing that people are talking about would be important so i also do that so from all this research that you've done and shared uh, i know you lead the growth team so how has it helped you grow um it has helped us grow so i think user research was the primary reason why we did not lose 6 months if we would have lost 6 months by trying different channels the way i did in the last month so user research helped us understanding user so well that it helped us grow last year around 35% in month over month and we are still growing crazy fast like um we we are part of like now and now uh, a community and when we tell them there's number they are a bit surprised and you just don't see it this number in in revenue but when you see the activation numbers when you see the 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 number when they are hitting that specific milestone and when they do their when when they talk to us about it it seems like the customer education is so high that that we have done something right and putting them into the funnel of going through product adoption school doing these research it's somehow inculcating them and then we see that numbers growing up really fast um and it also helped us in doing this research that we recently did product onboarding research that research was all because of the fact that i did those user interviews and i found out there was a customer who told me hey 
I want to find out if like what I'm doing is correct and what other companies are doing. And that user interview, that customer is no more with us anymore. But like that, that specific answer he gave me that, that ticked my mind for an idea that I should do product onboarding research. And I did it like six months later and he's no more with us, but I did send him this report. That specific answer that he said, hey, I, want, I, I wish there was something like this that I can, I can look at as a standard and say, okay, you know, these are the SaaS companies are doing and, and these are the mistakes or these are good things and these are bad things. And I want to improve with that. And that specific research got viral. We got like crazy 20,000, 30,000 people looking at that specific research. And we never had like 30,000 visitors per day. And it helped us like give us 1,000 leads in a couple of days. And I think that was yeah. also kind of a validation of those research that I did in that time. Yeah, I feel like when you're doing user research, right, you you almost feel like you're um, stealing, like you should get in copyright or IP trouble, you know what I mean? It's like, I just took somebody else's idea and then, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. worked with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's beautiful thing yeah i think we should somebody should like copyright it as well i think it's, it's just like it, users don't know how valuable information they're giving it to us thanks for listening to awkward silences brought to you by user interviews theme music by fragile gang editing and sound production by carrie boyd